and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Yamil. And we are going to be tackling a weird horror movie. Right. From 1978, The Eyes of Laura Mars, or The Eyes of Faye Dunaway. <laughs> Which She's got some giant eyes, y'all. Right, off, right out of the gate, you were telling me how much you didn't like it. I hated the way that it opened and the closed. The intro was very... I liked the whole movie. Uh-huh. I hated the way that it opened and closed. It's true. As soon as we started it, I was like, is this the movie? I hate this. Those words came <laughs> Right, <out>. exactly. <laughs> and I just sort of, like, like, my heart dropped going, oh, we're, we're in for it. If this, the opening 30 seconds of the movie, you're having issues with, this is not going to be good. Well, lucky for me, the opening 30 seconds Or is, so. It's very strange. It's, it's a still shot of an illustration with a Barbara Streisand vocal over it. Mm-hmm. So I am grateful to the gods of filmmaking that Barbara Streisand didn't star in this movie, as was originally intended. Right. Because basically I hated the parts with Barbara Streisand and liked all the rest of it. Well, the parts with Barbara Streisand, she was supposed to take over the role. Apparently the film was too, I think her words were kinky. Yeah, I can her. see that. And so she decided not to take it, but... Her um, producer, who was dating Barbara Streisand at the time, apparently gave Faye Dunaway a really hard time for taking over the role, like was kind of resentful that he wasn't doing his picture with his girlfriend. Which is a little bananas because she, she was... She dropped out. She herself. dropped out. She herself didn't right. want to do it. And maybe she he was just disappointed with the fact out. that he didn't get her in the role. Yeah. And so he was making it hard on Faye Dunaway, who... Is notoriously not easy to work with in the first place. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone who wants to blame Warren Beatty for that snafu at the Oscars a few years ago, totally wasn't his fault. It was totally her fault. That's all. That's well, what I have to say I about that. I think my favorite stories about difficult Faye Dunaway come from working with Roman Polanski, who's also notoriously difficult. Well, yeah. And ended with her throwing a cup of urine at his face. Why did she have a cup it's, of urine? It's a long story about what escalated Ooh. from strange things. Hey, guess what? In my lo- job, right. I never want to be in possession of a cup of urine, my own or anyone else's. Now, granted, <laughs> I'm not a nurse. If you're a nurse or right. whatever, I understand like, that is part of your part and parcel of your day. But as an actress... I don't think that a cup of urine ever needs to enter my It has something to do with the fact that Polanski was so notoriously controlling on set that he wasn't allowing her a bathroom break. Yeah, guess what? So she peed into a cup and threw it at him. (laughs) This is reminiscent of a recent This American Life. Right. uh, Where women who were working uh, security at an airport were also just sort of left out in these distant uh, locations and not able to relieve themselves Mm. Um, and not getting relief when they called for backup, somebody to come relieve them so that they could go to the bathroom in these 12, 14-hour shifts. And I, this is where my privilege comes in. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck this job. Fuck you if you don't think I'm going to go to OSHA with this shit. If you make me pee in a cup, we're going to have a problem, and it's going to be of the legal variety. And in that case, yeah, this was something different. Um, but also, but, hey, Roman Polanski, uh, fuck you. They do not. But they, <laughs> fuck yes, this they job. They notoriously did not like each other, and, yeah. um, and for all sorts of reasons. And you had two very difficult people, but at the same time, it's easier probably to be sympathetic to Faye Dunaway than it is Roman Polanski. I just, I, was, 
these these I keep hearing these stories of these women who are literally not allowed to go to the bathroom because of their work situation, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, that is actionable in the United States. OSHA right. will come down on your employer. And I wonder if it was at the time. I wonder if I think or so, everyone because put I think up it was it. in the nineties. I think that the woman oh, the, whose, the job, yeah, the one whose main about. story, she didn't realize that what a hostile work environment right. was. I do know what that is. Yes, it's where I'm and, currently working. Um, There's a lot of yelling and profanity directed yeah, at employees. Yeah, there is. It's so not directed have, at me, though, because I put my foot down, <laughs> because I well, will not be yelled at I engage at work. with my employer at that yes. level, too, but some of the other people are younger, and they, they don't know how to do this yet. And and I do understand that I am coming from a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. I am not... If I walk away from a job, I can probably get another one. I'm not, you know, poised on the uh, abyss. Right. Financially, and I certainly I don't have children to take care of, so I do understand that there are um, there are these things that people have to take into into account. Yeah. But the demeaningness, like the the just the utter humiliation of making a woman piss herself because you think it's funny. Mm-hmm. And again, let's make sure we're talking about two uh, separate <laughs> things. Other from yeah, no, I don't know. Pa- yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't yeah, know what the Polanski thing was, but this fight, was specifically but, about right, that. About yeah, the, that's this American life. But um, so this movie is not about urination. No, it's uh, about quite a bit else, and I'm not quite sure all of what it's about. It's about murder. It's about murder. It is. Yeah, this is an American giallo, mm-hmm. and a giallo is. A giallo is in Italy after the war. They published suspense paperbacks, and yes. they were in yellow covers, which is the Italian What's word the giallo. the word for yellow, right. yeah. And they were generally murder mysteries that were really gory, but centered on the murders more than the actual uh, solving of the crime, like you would in a typical so it's story. almost like the story of the killer, not the story of the detective. Right. And the detectives sometimes find them out by ridiculous coincidences, sometimes in giallo films that come from Italy. The murderer is caught on these, just, you know, at the last five minutes through a ridiculous chain of coincidences. Well, the Jello, in, um, the, as a film genre, it was uh, pioneered really by Mario Bava. So just then, very violent right. for no Although his reason. were more stylized. When Dario Argento started doing Jello films, they became really hyper-violent. Yeah. Um, and they're populated by people who have... Rooms uh-huh. that are lower than the regular floor plan of the house, right. filled with razor wire. <laughs> yeah, there's also why, and, who, why? That's again a problem. This, this falls into the spectacular death category. Yes. An interesting fact for the audience is that uh, one of these films I can't remember the title because there's three or four of them. Every time a film hit title, international distribution, multiple in every titles. country it had its own title. Um, there was a film that Bava did that involved murder around a lake in Italy. And there's all sorts of suspects, and everyone's getting killed in these spectacular ways. You're thinking ways. of April Fool's Day. Well, here's the thing. That <laughs> film was done in the 70s. Uh-huh. It didn't get much distribution here, but some American producers saw it and basically ripped off the entire movie to make Friday the 13th. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, that's also about a lake. Right. Murder, and of. so through the first couple of Friday the 13th movies, they were just borrowing gags from the Mario Bava film. And so he accidentally invented the slasher genre in the States 
Hey, thanks. Having yeah, and, and which would have even less rhyme or reason to it, you know. Yeah. Anybody who remembers that period of filmmaking, uh, killers got into rooms somehow without opening a door or a window. Yeah, no. You're yeah, able to chase somebody. At also, full speed they never by have to walk right. any faster right. than exactly approximately one mile per hour. They took the lack of logic from the Italian films and pushed it in a whole other direction where it was just even more extreme. But yeah, it was never the intention of the, the the Italian filmmakers necessarily have spawned an American genre that made even less sense. Than well, I don't going. think Italian filmmakers are going around going, what American genre can right. we kick off? I think they're right. trying to do their own thing. Right, and they were at the time, which is pretty funny. But um, but yeah, we owe uh, all those hack slasher movies in the 70s and 80s to a much better director than that genre deserves to have been spawned by, I guess. Well, but, I would argue that Directors of those films are often better than we give them credit for. Well, I'm sure. I mean, when you look at something like Halloween, right? And there's another quince, another connection there because the Eyes of Laura Mars, the first script was written by written John by Carpenter. John Carpenter. Who <laughs> did you see this the other right. day? His Rolling Stone did a thing that said if. John Carpenter would be 70 today, let's celebrate his works or whatever. Uh And he responded with, I am 70 today (laughs) because he's not dead. And I'm like, did they think he was Wes Craven? That's They they might have. Um, (laughs) Because I could totally see uh that. Because for a second I was like, oh yeah, John Carpenter is totally dead. And then I'm like, nope. Well, (laughs) they were both around the same time making a lot of inroads. I have to say that and strange as it sounds, John Carpenter's early work was in much better taste. I think that John Craven's, Carpenter was yeah. probably like if we're going if we're gonna give levels, uh-huh. I'd think Wes Craven is right around C's uh-huh. and John Carpenter is at B and A level. Right. But um, Wes Craven also was like Last House on the Left is a really violent and just uh, hard to watch to the point it's disgusting at sometimes what happens in that film. I right. Mean, and I don't want to go into it, right, but we don't need to, it's yeah. really awful. And John Carpenter, even when you're watching Halloween, it's like he's cutting away at times. You yeah. don't need to say. Yeah. He's doing more stuff with suggestion. He was more of the But he movement. also does things oh, yeah, like The is, Thing, and he does right. also things that aren't horror at all. Right. Which oh. Wes Craven really didn't leave the horror genre. Yeah, John Carpenter much. did some a wonderful buddy romantic movie called Starman with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Oh, that's a jo- I didn't know that was a John Carpenter yeah, movie. Yeah, and it was a very and also sweet like, movie. Um, didn't he do the Escape movies? Escape from New York, yeah. Yeah, that's fiction, him as well. He did, yeah. um, he did uh, some. Did he do like Enemy Mine or any of no, those no, no, things? No, no, no. He did he, Escape from New York. He did both two of those films. He did his first film was kind of a, almost like a modern day western, and there was a lot of western stuff in uh, the very first film, which was Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Oh, okay, which was remade in right. the two thousands. And then with he did Colin another. Farrell. Also, the movie he did with Ice T. No, no. Ice Cube. What Ice movie? Cube. Ice Cube and Natasha Henstridge. Which is Ghosts of Mars, oh, which is very much like kind of an outer space western. I didn't western. realize that that was him too. I don't know why we're why are we talking about John Carpenter? Because he's he wrote this dead. movie. Well, <laughs> well, also he wrote this movie, and so it. it's like he's a guy who explored a lot of stuff. I think had he directed this movie, it might have been more violent. It was I pretty mean, violent it was as it was. Pretty violent. Right. So this movie centers on Laura Mars. Weird mm-hmm. that the person named in the movie right. title was would be maybe the main character of the movie. And that is Faye Dunaway. She's a 
fashion photographer who it feels like maybe was a model right. at one point, um, but is now in her middle age. Excuse middle me. age for Faye Dunaway is not middle age for anybody well, else. Well, I know, she's, but she's in her 30s, right? right. Mid, mid to upper 30s probably I'm guessing, there. yeah. And she is having a book released. And it is in the style of, if you don't, I don't know if you guys know who Helmut Newton is, but he is the photographer whose photos are actually used right. in, uh, in the in the film. They are, and we have to keep in mind too that this movie was 1978, right. so visual portrayals of violence have permeated our culture in such a way that this was felt like no big deal, but it also felt like they made this movie at exactly the, the it, right time, and it couldn't have been made two, two years right. earlier or two years later. I think it really fulfills the purpose of what we're doing with the latecomers, which is there's some movies that capture a spirit at the right time. Right, and, the, and this really did. It's fine. It's and fine. Um, this one, and I guess next week we're going to be doing The Last Temptation of Christ, yes. which is another movie which came at such a crisis point in the relationships uh, between religious people and, and the outside world. Or This film, I still think the images, to me, are sort of shocking. They are. And sh- a lot of it is the use of color. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just the blatant uh, nudity. There's a lot of boobs in this movie. There's more boobs in this movie now, than Animal House. I actually like the way that some of it was handled because we're... So uh, Faye Dunaway's character, Laura Mars, is doing these uh, photographs which are by turns violent and very sexual. Yes. And they mostly center around people being shot or sort of crime scenes. Or strangled. There's a naked woman spread eagled on it, falling off a bed with a dead body next to her. Yeah. There's a, a very beautiful naked dead woman with a, like a dog standing over her, almost yes. like it's Mulder. So there's some connections in the images where if you're paying attention, it is sort of disturbing. But the film doesn't really dwell on the images that she's no. doing. So you see them in passing, and it's almost and like you get see these flashes. And you a couple of film shoots, like right. where they're actually taking these photos. Mm-hmm. But the models are all shown very vibrant. They're main characters in, right. the, in the movie. And so she is about to have this book released, and, and there's media saying that it is glorifying violence, and it's, you know... And that's a point when you're looking at the to film. Women. It is a point that they're making. It's yes, not, yeah. she she's making statements about violence. Whether we agree with those statements or that those photos make those statements, that's right. You know, we don't need to get into a full uh, aesthetic conversation mm-hmm. about that. So she's at because I'm thinking of the book opening, but before that, one of the women she's been yeah. having. She she's awoken with a nightmare, wherein she sees one of the editors of the book of her book, right? Murdered. A big coffee table book. A that, big coffee table right. book that's Collection coming out. So she tries to call this woman and can't get through, and then at the book party, finds out she's been murdered right. in the manner that she saw with, um, there's an ice pick through the eyes that right. is the signature of this killer now. She had this was was awoken from sleep by having a vision of this murder as it actually occurred. So there's some supernatural stuff going right. on. Paranormal that is stuff in the very never least. explained. It's explained in a weird kind of way, but I'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that later, I guess. And then there's a second murder as well mm-hmm. of. I can't remember who the second murder was. 
And that she sees while she's awake. She just mm. stops being able to sort of yeah, see out of her f- eyes. Right. And and we see it as well, this sort of fuzzy point of view of uh, gloved hands of the right. killer killing this other person, also ice picking through the now, eyes. What we should mention is the film opens with that murder. Uh, it takes place on the night of a, an opening she has to celebrate yes. her work. And we're introduced to a lot of the characters who play a part in the film Yeah, so she's Um, got... So these are two people in her orbit now mm. who we know are killed. Um, They don't really find out until at this opening. And at the opening, you're introduced to... Um, Donald Phelps, who's played by René Abergenois. Abergenois! Who is a wonderful actor. He's so good. He Um, has the biggest, floofiest hair. And you you meet uh, Tommy Lee Jones, who you don't know who he is at first, only that he has uh, fluffy hair and too much mascara. As soon as I saw him, I was like, this motherfucker's a cop. Right. <laughs> um, Brad Dorif plays Tommy Ludlow, her driver. And the cast in this movie, okay. It's very good. Right. Raul Julia, we see, is... Oh, that's who the second person right. is. Uh, her friend, I think another... Maybe a former Somebody model. Somebody else in the fashion industry, right. And the person who her ex-husband is shacking up with. Her ex-husband is played by Raul Julia, who is the least sexy he's ever been. Raul Julia, a man who had built his career on being incredibly charming, is playing the most charmless Neanderthal in this film. He's got... Horrible. Javier Bardem from No Country for Old Men just coursing through his veins. He's super unsexy. Then we have Michelle and Lulu, who are her musies. And Lulu, I have to say for... uh, Well... Darlene Flugel, who was a huge crush of mine when I was, a, you know, is younger. it Darlene? I'm seeing Darlan. Darlan. A R L A N N E. I think I heard Ooh. it pronounced the other way. She, okay, it might be Darlene. Just she was a big staple famous. of films in the the seventies and late seventies and eighties. She did a lot of stuff um, in television, so she yes, yeah. and she's playing one of the models that's in the orbit. And she's also great. Her and uh, what's the other model? Because there are actual models in the film. Michelle. What is the, uh, Lisa Taylor? Now the name. what I liked when we mentioned all the nudity in this film is that we're often seen. There's the nudity in the photographs. There's the nudity of the models getting dressed and changing. Yeah, changing. At like no point, like their though, body is nothing to does them. Does it like, feel exploitative? It doesn't. There's a love scene in the movie that has no nudity, which is it even funnier. It feels like a movie that was directed by a woman. It, which it, it wasn't. Is not right. It's directed by Irving Kirshner, who went on to do The Empire Strikes Back. Apparently based on uh-huh. an early cut of this movie. Right. Well, yeah, the, the George Lucas was inspired by how well he handled suspense and the action in this movie. And he really does. He keeps it going at a pace. It doesn't get boring at any point. No. So what ends up happening... So, yes, so Tommy Lee Jones, a very young, very eyebrow-forward Tommy Lee Jones... Right. Basically, is like this art is crap, right? And if you he see the artist, let me know because I want to tell them, right? Or tell her that it's crap, and then he realizes that that is who he was speaking with, which I think he knew the whole time. He so might. he is John Neville, and he is going to protect Faye Dunaway because they're going to fall in love. They're going to fall in love. It's so inappropriate. So. The whole, this movie is not very long, uh-huh. and it's just everyone in Faye Dunaway's orbit being murdered and her watching it happen. Right. And at no point, like, they know who's on her hit, the hit list, right? Because it's literally everyone that's close to her. 
and they're not fault. She's got a tail. Right. They're not following anybody else, and I'm just like, you guys are doing this. Well, you learn there's wrong. a reason for this later on. Why? why? Oh well. Oh yeah. No, I guess yeah. that's true. They don't go into that, but yeah, you're probably right. So, Laura tells John that she is seeing these things. Nobody believes her at first. No. Well, no, because it sounds bananas. ridiculous. Remote viewing. Um, and so they're like, well, maybe she's doing it, but then it's very obvious that she's clearly in one place right. when these other things are happening. She's not anywhere close Well, and to... the reason why she's a suspect is she, when she's in the middle of a photo shoot, yes, she winds up getting interrupted by her vision and winds up fleeing to her friend to protect her at this point, only arriving there just when the police are there. So there's, she starts babbling. But that's like... I see them, I've, I saw it happen. There are like two things with that, because she sees... Uh-huh. One person killed, and then she's on her way somewhere else, and she's seeing the second person killed because she's seeing it in real time. Right. And then they're like, "That's my friend." Yeah, she's like, "That's my friend. I just saw her die. Where were you? I wasn't here. I was two blocks over." So it's nobody is listening to her. Yeah. And and you kind of see who could it be? They they push very hard for you to think that it's Tommy. For many reasons, I think Brad Dorif is a very easy person to blame things on. And Brad Dorif is he's great got a here. weird face. He's not playing. He's the least man. weird looking he ever is because right. they put they put a beard on him and they that they bounces out his the, freaky yes. giant eyes. Um, he is Brad Dorif. For those of you who don't immediately recognize him, he played psychotics in that cases. All throughout his career, he's more famous for Lord of the Rings films. Yes, he, plays he was Tongue. in Wormed, Wormed um, Tongue? Wormed Tongue? I think yeah, I think so. He's in, um, he did some great work on the X-Files. He was one of the villains in Dune, Frank, in David Lynch's Dune. Yeah, so he's, he's a person who's, oh, and he's from Huntington, West Virginia. That's the home of the McElroys. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> he is a very good actor. He's very good at playing these kind of intense, and really intense sort of parts. And he is a character actor. Like, right. he is the definition of the a The first time actor. I saw him was in a film, and he had a great, I think, out-of-the-gate experience uh, working with John Huston uh, doing a, a film when he was really young, uh, playing a, a roving atheist who wants to found a church of humanity and all the people who get in his way. I don't, um, that's not appearing on his list. What's it called? No, Wise Blood. And it's based on a story okay. by Flannery O'Connor. So it is after So this. it's very weird. It's a very weird film, and he's perfect for it. It's a very weird guy. But um, Has he ever been covered in rats? He um, seems like somebody he, who it was. He did a Stephen been. King film where he plays an exterminator. Okay, there we go. We did um, it. We figured it out. One of my <laughs> favorite eighty Stephen King's movies because it's so eighty. You know, gorgeous woman, That's in high waisted shift, pants, right? right. Uh, and a big Carlo Rambaldi designed monster bat that attacks people at the end. It's a really fun movie. Interesting. Not a smart movie, a fun one. Hey, his name was Tucker Cleveland. Anyway, so they they really push hard for you to think that it's him. He's got a record which he divulges during the f- movie. But he genuinely cares for one of the models. I don't know which Darling of the Flugel, models. Right. She's, he's, uh, he's fixated on, on, um, on Lulu. On Lulu. But not in a creepy way. No, he brings her flowers. Yeah. He, he's, and right. she seems open to that. Right. Like, it, like they maybe will Which is out. strange because one of the things that you and I were having a conversation about was Lulu and um, Michelle. Michelle like, They're roommates. Are they roommates or are they a couple? Because they 
I think that they're just roommates. I think it is a heightening of the, you know, that naked pillow fight stereotype. Right. So there's a scene in this, uh, it's actually the their death scene. Right. They both die in the scene um, where they're fixing tea. Uh-huh. They're topless and they're going to give each other massages. Right, and I don't, but it still isn't exploitative. It's not shot in a way that it is. No, they never it just get around looks to the like they got to the end of a long day, right. and then they rock paper scissors so, to see who's going to get the first massage. Right. Like it, but they're topless in it. Right, but it doesn't feel well, and the reason sexual. Why I say that is it reminds me like the sort of nudity that you see when you're watching a program like uh, America. No, not not America's Next Top Model, although it's there too or used to be. Um, Project Runway. Okay. Oh, the models right. come into the model where room. Where they're literally are, just hangers. Right. And, and they have to fuzz out. Well, because they have to. Right. They know that they have to be nude for parts of... They're not like, self-conscious they about it at all. No, because so it's part of the job. So you have a room full of people dressing them, and they're wandering around topless or sometimes entirely they naked in the room. They could be right. self-conscious about it if the people there aren't being professional. Right. Like, I could definitely see that veering, but I think, you know... They get people who are professional enough. Right. That and that's the not, feeling. They're of it. treating the models with respect and there, they're not. There's a scene where Brad Dorf's character is sitting at the mirror talking to Darlene Fugel, and there are women basically wandering around mm-hmm. topless, and he's just so focused on her. He's talking to her, looking at her, right. in, her in her eyeballs. Which is, is an interesting character drop, too. It's like how much he cares. Like, he's not distracted by any of this. He's no, just really fixated on really her. He really likes her, yeah. So that's kind of how. Like one of the ways that Faye Dunaway that that mm-hmm. Laura does, is like it's I don't think it's Tom. like I trust Tommy. No, we we want to talk about Renée Bergeron, who's kind of her handler, manager. Yeah, uh, agent. Agent. It's, yeah, but also maybe best friends. He is a he's playing a very kind of gay character. Although by modern standards, it's hard to tell when he's playing a gay character because it seems like. It's intimate. His body language would come over across 1978 less now because I, I well I I which I actually really liked because right. he seemed like a guy who happened to be gay, right? Not the gay character, right? Exactly. Now, like, I'll, I'll tell you why I want to see this movie. It's that, weird that a gay dude would just right. walk down the street like a normal dude. Right. What? What? I'll tell you the reason why I wanted to see this movie when you said it was on the list. First of all, because of the the, the pedigree of the movie and all the actors in it. But years ago, I was listening to local radio. I was camping. I was on a camping trip. And Duck, I'm out. Um, there was an interview with, I think, Jim Eason being played at night, uh, replayed, where he was interviewing René Arbergenois. Oh, okay. okay. My knowledge of this gentleman is Star Trek only. Right. And I didn't watch the show he was on. And when I was... So my, right. my experience of him is, you know, third, right. three times removed. Mm-hmm. I don't... And I've seen him in stuff. I'm not familiar with him through television because it was before Star Trek, it was Benson. Was he Deep Space Nine? Was it Deep Space Nine? I think so. Oh, go ahead. Uh, But it was Benson. And then, of course, before that, there was a lot of movies. So he's doing this interview and he mentions the eyes of Laura Mars, right? He said, there's a scene in the movie where he's talking to a cop and the cop is kind of baiting him about being gay. This is the first interview. Yes, it's... He says, you did some of that Rona Barrett stuff. Now, Rona Barrett was a Hollywood reporter back in the day who was known for being very dishy and very femme. An actual, you know. Um, so Deep Space Nine. He played yeah. Odo in Deep Space Nine. So he's baiting, you know, uh, this character, Donald, by saying, oh, you're one of those. He's like doing it without saying you're gay. 
he says, can you show me an impersonation like all gay men do impersonations? I don't know what that was meant That's to be. So, uh, is it like a drag queen right. thing or like everybody, they've all got a share to pull out? I, I don't know, <laughs> but that's what, kind of what he was hinting at. And he says, I don't, I do a great Lloyd Bridges. And then he squints. He does. He, I, I can he definitely squint, see him. Right. So what he's saying when he's being interviewed on this local program, he goes, yeah, I did that. And then... I worked on King Kong with Jeff Bridges, who said that this was a joke on the set all the time. Do my dad, do my dad, and he'd because squint. I could definitely see him doing a squint right. and doing like like those micro um, impressions that right. uh, that dude from The Walking Dead does, Anybody where it's like who, four words or whatever, or just a look, right. and you're like, I got it. Anybody uh, who remembers Lloyd Bridges and anything knows that that was his big thing, the manly squint. But when he did this. It became a running joke. They became really good friends. So Laura and John Neville, our young Tommy Lee Jones, are kissy kissing. Very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. This is this is a fireable offense, y'all. He is hired to protect her, or maybe arrest her if she is the murderess. She isn't. They shouldn't be kissy kissing. It's not. It's not appropriate. Then it's Donald's birthday, and something's happening where she wants to. She needs to lose her tail because right. she's being tailed by the police. So she sends, like, Donald goes off in a dress and heels, and, like, and they think it's her, and so they follow her, and then she gets in a car and goes, drives the other way. And when they stop him, they're like, why are you dressed like that? And his response is, it's my birthday, I can be anyone I want. (laughs) And I'm like, that's awesome. He's, like, in no way is he stigmatized. And then three minutes later, he dies. Which is sad. (laughs) Which is really one of the murders, because the first two women that get killed, it's brutal, but you really don't know them. We don't and know them, And when Donald yeah. gets killed, it's very personal. And it's, Donald, yes. And when Lulu gets killed, when Lulu and... Lulu and, and Michelle die, that's yeah. personal, and, and we've seen how they care about right. Laura and how Laura cares and about Laura them. And Laura is a good person. Yes. She is really good with her crew. There's a, a great scene with three great actors. You have Faye Dunaway, you have Renee Bourgeois, and you have Brad Dorff, and they're singing a car. And... Um, Renee Bergeron and Brad Dorf are in this argument that they're not talking to Laura Yeah, they about. don't like each other. And then he just, she comes out and Brad Dorf starts admitting, well, I was an ex-con. I right. was in for robbery. She, Laura starts freaking out and uh, Renee is sort of like yelling at him for revealing this and they just... It really feels like an interaction between three people, yeah. not between three actors acting. No, yeah, no, it was a good uh, interaction and done all inside of a car. Right. Which... Um, actually works and it, it makes felt sense really because real between the three of them it did because Renee and Brad don't like each other mm-hmm. or Tommy and uh, and Donald that's right. right don't like each other and so the only time they would have this interaction would be in the car because Tommy is the driver like right. at the party he drops Laura off. Uh-huh. She says, "I want. I just want to stay for an hour." And Donald is like, "We'll save you some cake. Peace out." And he's like. It's really hard to figure out what you it's want to do, what to do with yourself for an hour. And he's like, you'll figure it out. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> I was like, you can't just let him sit quietly in the corner and right. munch on his cake. Like, you have to kick him out. You're good for dick. Yeah. But, but it's I'm, his party. He can do what he wants right. to. It's but. his party and he can be anyone he wants to be. And that's kind of what I, I like when, like when we were watching Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. I like it when a movie from a period of time where people are telling you, because you often get that, oh, it was different back then, 
and people are allowed to be casually racist, people are allowed to be homophobic or sexist. I like it when you find a movie from that period that's just, everyone's chill about it. Just like, yeah. And right. especially when it's set in New York. Right. Like, this is not the first gay person that you've seen. Right, exactly. And the birthday party turns out to be quite gay, as in oh. point of fact. Uh-huh. And it's like, we're all singing, and we're all around the piano, and it's almost like a stereotypically gay party. Yeah. Although, this is 1978, so this is probably... Oh, Not mostly. a woman in the... Right. And that's the other thing is Faye Dunaway is the only woman at this party. Right. And so... But the sense that you get is this is probably for a lot of people because it was a very popular movie. It was very successful. They, it, they wouldn't have known. Right. They, this is their first peep into what gay life is like. What, in the Midwest when right. they're watching this movie. And I got to tell you, growing up watching... And even now, watching films from like the 60s and 70s, early 70s that portray gay life, it's usually dire and horrible and, you know shifty and this is just people being people right and that's why like it really felt and, realistic. and there is a specific mm. time where that happened right. because two years later and at least two of those mm. dudes at that party are dying from aids right. maybe four years later but right it's a very it's another very specific 1978 and there's a right time because that's the other thing is one of the arguments at the book release party is um photography is a hack thing painting is real art this isn't real art you're not going to tell me that photographs are real art and transitory is what they're looking at and now it's it's a conversation that we would not have because of course photography is art oddly what i like about it too the film is that it chose to have someone like helmut newton who was on the cutting edge at the time right and still pushed an envelope Mm -hmm. doing the work in the background because what i really hate is when Oh, when stuff about art has right. the art and the art is real, real the bad. Art is really bad, and you're looking at it going, "What is See the, the f- every movie about a singer songwriter that has right. ever been made?" <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, and this is the, their song that's changing the world, and it's just like, and it's wretched. <laughs> po- stuff about like I, I have like I had three ideas for a uh, short story, and mm-hmm. one of them was having a poet. Right. And then I was like, no, because I'm going to have to write his poetry. And it's like mother. Like, it's just not, the art isn't good. (laughs) You're you're telling me that this is the best artist of this kind ever. And the art produced, bad. (laughs) And that's (laughs) always disappointing. It always, uh, to me, it takes me out of the story. Yeah. Um, because you're looking at it going, objectively, it's not good. Right. And then, to, and of course, that's uh, the way, the, because there's a fundamental par- paradox, right. because the art being made is by a specific type of artist who is not going to be good. Right. Like, the filmmaker is a great filmmaker uh-huh. and is going to be a terrible songwriter. Right, like, exactly. So you're always one off. It's unlikely that you're going to have somebody skilled enough to be making one art and skilled enough at that in your yeah. art at the same time. Or even to understand to how the other art works, the other art form works. That's why, yes, go get a person mm. to do that. Iron huh. Fist. Yes. Iron Fist. This is a, a program about uh, the Netflix uh, miniseries, the first one anyhow, maybe the second one will be better, about a man with mysterious martial arts powers and it's white belt stuff he's doing and it's badly staged. And you're like, but... But no. you're supposed to be the greatest martial <laughs> artist. And I in the world. could kick you your killed ass. a dragon with your bare hands, and they got this sort of skinny kid who is really physically awkward. 
By the time they did the Defenders, it got a lot better. I'm hoping the second He's, season... Yes, of and it, him and Luke Cage was good. Right. So... I'm hoping that they, they work a lot harder on that, but it was just so disappointing yeah. going, this is what I came to Please watch it for. Please don't tell me that bad. this is the best out of thing, right. and then show me that thing, and have right. it be like sea levels right. or worse. Yeah, it's that's rough going. But anyhow, yes, they did a great job here because Helmut Newton's a photographer, and his images are striking. They right. are violent. They are disturbing in a lot of ways. And they have a very particular style. It's mm-hmm. not just, oh, these are photographs. Right. It's these are art photographs. Like, these are done for a reason. Right. Not and, like, and I can see also food, even the arguments they had at the time, which is throughout the film you see Laura's art used in advertising. Yes. And you see it at that's one how point. She, that's how photogra- right. photographers make their money. I'm sure 90% of them, right? And Maybe so... More. There's one scene where they're pulling alongside of a bus and there's a billboard or a, a advertisement on the side of the bus yeah. featuring Lulu and... and, and yes, uh, and Michelle. Michelle. And, uh, and Rene, uh, Donald, rather, is going on about how great this is. It's all over the city. And the fashion shoot they do, which is two wrecked cars or something. Yes. And, uh, there's a really funny scene where you get... And, and it's... That's what I appreciate about this movie. Everyone in the movie gets their moment. Yeah. And Lulu and uh, Michelle are fighting because Lulu is really ripping into Michelle's yeah, hair. You don't have it. to pull it so hard. <laughs> right. but she's a method performer, and so she's yeah. really ripping I'm like, into her hair. she's mad at her for something right. else. And you can totally see these are roommates. Or again, roommates, girlfriends, I don't know what they are. Well, yeah, it's unclear. But And that's probably for the best. Just leave it that way. It's, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change. For the sake of their characters. Right. Right. Um, so Donald gets killed well dressed as the woman on his birthday. It's a real bummer. Yes, it is. Uh, they, the police at this point have searched Tommy's car and found evidence. Uh-huh. And he is pursued by the police and, in fact, killed right. by the police. And Neville, John Neville, goes to tell Laura. They've, it was Tommy. They got him. As Laura's in her apartment, she sees another vision of this killer killing someone in the elevator of her building. And then they're banging on the door. And she doesn't let them in. She screams, go away. You don't know who's mm. out there. At the same time, John is hearing this commotion and comes in through her balcony mm-hmm. window, which I don't know how he got out there. Uh and then he looks and he says, there's nobody there. They caught Tommy. It was Tommy. And she's going. he's going through this, how he was, you know, abused as a kid. And there's, he has this, she, uh, this elaborate backstory. And Laura's like, I know Tommy's story. Mm. And this isn't it. And also, you're telling me Tommy died, you know, an hour and a half ago or whatever mm. it is. I just saw somebody killed. Right. And then uh, Neville is going on about Tommy's backstory and then slides into speaking in the first person. person. And so then Neville is talking about himself. Neville, it was Tommy Lee Jones, you guys, the whole time. <laughs> Except then he starts talking like um, Ed Norton in Primal Fear. Primal Fear. 
And it appears that he may have some. So we just spoiled two things. Identities. It was Edward Norton all the time. <laughs> yeah. Let me try my fear. I'll spoil let me something else you. for you. Get it's it. always Edward Norton. It's always right? Edward. He's the bad guy. There's the so then there's this like murder version of John, and also the one that loves her, and he's like, "Kill me." He want that one says, "Kill me." Like I don't. Whatever right. I am, I don't want to be. Not, not only really kill me, kill him is what yeah, he's saying. Yeah, that's true. And there's a, there's a good moment that unfortunately now is a cliche where he's looking in the sort of mirrored panels of Laura's room. Oh yeah, that's the he, thing about Laura's house. Right. It's all mirror. It's 90% mirror. <laughs> and he drives an ice pick through the face or the eye of his mirror of reflection, his mirror which reflection, is really right. neat kind of shot. A little bit. Um, on the nose, but... Yeah. <laughs> and so then Laura shoots him. Uh-huh. And then that horrible song that I hated came back. Right. And that's the end. So I was right before the final scene, and I figured it out right as as the murder was happening uh-huh. in the elevator because you. I was like, okay, there are two dudes left. Uh-huh. And it was her ex-husband, who's Raul Julia. Uh-huh. And it, who who's was, a red herring. Right, who's His a red herring. There's a red lot of right. red herrings in this movie. And there's Tommy Lee Jones. And... You see the person getting stabbed is put his hands up in front of his face so you can't see his face, mm-hmm. but you could see enough. I think he was wearing a dark suit. Right. You could see enough that I knew that that was Raul Julia, which means I so I knew. Right. But right as that was happening, I was like, as inappropriate as it is, I really like this relationship, and I really hope it's not Tommy Lee Jones because I would like her to have a happy ending with a nice man. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> Everyone she knows died in this movie, by the way. Like, it's rough on her. Their relationship is actually really great in the movie. It is. And they seem to have a real affection for each other. They do. And there's a line in the movie after they've been together for the first time where they wake up together and he says to her something about realizing that you're drawn or connected to another person. Yeah. And she says, she's talking about how she feels like you can go your entire life thinking that you're living normally. And these scene, these lines are, I mean, heavy-handed. But they're, they're very melodramatic. They're beautifully acted, though. They are. And that's what redeems it. It's like, oh, you, you believe what they're saying to, to yeah. each other. This very much does feel like when you find somebody and then in the first 48 hours of your relationship, you've spent that whole time together right. and you're inexplicably drawn to them. And that's kind of the way that they act. And you will talk like that. They like, wrap themselves I, around each other. I can't believe I've right. lived this long without you. And like, and they don't know each other, right? right? Like, And the, their, their physicality together is really adorable because they just sort of tangle each other themselves up together. Yes, they do. And like a real couple does. So it felt like a lot of this movie felt very authentic. And I think that's what I appreciate. Yeah. It's like we didn't sit here. There was no moments when people stood on soapboxes to proclaim the, the point of view of the movie. It was just there. We took it for granted that we were dropped in the middle of this world for a while. Yeah, and it is a a, a fantasy-type world. Like, right. she's seeing these things. We never get, like, he had, there was abuse right. and stuff with him when he was a kid. Um, like, his mom was a, like, left him at a brothel. I don't mm. I, it's, it's all that sort of. Well, that's I was exposed so there's to too much bad femi- right. femininity, and so now I'm a serial killer. There's two personalities. One of which is the guy who's very live and let live, 
and the one yeah. who's fallen in love with Laura, and the other one is this sort of mortal righteous crusader yes. who um, is really disgusted. And what I like, what I think this film did right, is that, and Tommy Lee Jones, again, being the actor that he is, yeah. when you look back at the film, you very specifically see when each person is which. Yes. Because the first scene, you become aware... Oh, he fucking hates her. Right. The very first scene, you, you hates her, he hates her, and then later on, he's kind of kissing up to her, and then another scene, he's being very charming with the models. Yeah. And so you're beginning to... It's like... You can see... You think it's the awkwardness of the performance until you realize, oh no, he's actually very cagey about playing both of these guys. So, yeah. And he was very good. And like I said, yeah, that relationship... And I'm kind of glad about it, but I mean, this woman, this main character has gone (laughs) She suffers way too much. Right? And for what? Right. Like for being an artist, well, it doesn't. It like doesn't it, connect it towards some sort of bigger picture. It's just this is her life. No, I know, right? What, yeah, so. This woman's definitely committing suicide, and then not terribly. She has no support system. Everyone that she knows was brutally murdered, right. and then she had to murder somebody. Well, who was a cop? So she might just go to jail, and that might be a wrap on well, it. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Probably given, not. Given what this yeah. was. Um, I think that uh, <coughs> sorry, go ahead. one of the great, um, well, the, the film, it seems to be that the two of their, their connection together is what makes her see his visions. Like she's connected to him somehow. Right, but she saw them before they even met. Right, so. and, and the, incline, the the explanation seems to be that she's, because at one point he sets out oh, a that's portfolio right. There's a of bunch photographs. Of, um, like, of crime uh, scenes. Crime scene photos. And shows them next to her book and start saying, why do your pictures look so much like mine? So she might have been picking up on him for a long, a long time. time. That's true. Like they were somehow opposite ends of a spectrum with this rubber band between the two of them. And they're they were brother and sister? I almost thought that was coming at one point. Um, it wasn't. But it does But in the 70s, that is a right. very, well, I mean, now too. What's heartbreaking about today. their relationship failing is the idea that the same thing that connects them together and makes them fall in love is the same thing that's that horrible connection yeah. that they have that, you know... Like, if he'd been a whole person... Right. They could have had this relationship, right. but something broke it. So very that early on. He is, he there's a very Jack the Ripper kind of explanation. Yeah, and but um, that does that that does have that sexist, that little bit of misogynist feel of the, of the, the, the serial killer explanation of... Right. Mom, you know, was selling herself. But that is and so typical of serial killers, though. I mean, but I don't. How many serial killers' biographies have you read is, that have honestly, that explanation? Honestly, I think it's probably four. But then we have Criminal Minds, and right. so it's four hundred. And it might have been based because on, they've been made right. up. You know what I mean? Like, because so many of them all go back to one. Ed Bean right. is the story of forty other, right. you know, things. But I mean, so. at the time when the film was made, this could have been they were drawing on something that has now become a cliche. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And yeah. and that's one thing that we always have to think about when you're watching an older movie, is that again, there have been so many people yeah. taking elements from this and that that they that but, by the time you see it, but just because something out. is cliche now uh-huh. doesn't mean that. Like it was probably not ever stunningly original. Well, like it was case, probably a little bit lazy to get to cliche. Status ever since eventually. Psycho, 
that twist at the end is something that you're always expecting. At the end? Oh, the... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Norman Bates is his mother. Okay. I mean, that was a huge shock at the time. I'm like, there people. were a lot of twists in Psycho, so right, I thought you were going to talk about the early one. Well, the first one is actually a great twist, too. That one is still shocking to this yeah. day. It's like, what? You just killed off a ma- a- the A-list star and replaced her with her sister. Right. And, um, ooh, I want to talk about a thing. But don't. Don't do it. Because <laughs> you're going to ruin it for somebody else. I know, okay. Oh, by the way, I highly recommend Psycho because there's enough twists to keep you going, even if you know that, what we just said. Yeah. No, no, no. Mm. I wasn't going to talk about Psycho. I was going to say I hadn't seen it done. Uh-huh. I hadn't seen that twist, what Psycho, well, other than Scream, which did it sort of right. very much on Front Street until a very recent movie, but I don't want to spoil said recent movie right. if you don't know about it. But it was very much that Psycho thing of this is who we're with. And then that person is dead. <laughs> so I guess this is not a I remember with. watching, um, there was a, a movie called uh, City of the Dead uh, with uh, Christopher Lee and a number of other from the 60s that I showed to my nephew once. And it has that same twist at the very beginning where the oh, okay. main character dies off. And he's he was young. It was Johnny. And he completely freaked out when he's like, well, what happens now? Wait, is the movie over? <laughs> he, yeah. It just it yeah. took him out of the narrative doldrums, so it was great seeing it, something like that, get to And the... actually, w- this right. isn't too big of a spoiler because it happens in literally the first 10 minutes. Uh-huh. Castle Rock is a little bit like that, right. where they're like, oh, you're like, oh, look at this famous person that I totally know. Right. Wait, 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 what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, overall, I'd have to say I really, I really enjoyed the movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it. I liked it, was, it a lot. I just really mm. hated that that theme, that Prisoners theme song uh, that Barbara Streisand did and the image that went along when it was playing. Uh, I just didn't care for it. It felt out of step and it felt heavy-handed and I just didn't One of those like instances, that. and there are some, like when you look at the original Cape Fear and you find out that Alfred Hitchcock was supposed to have directed it, and you're looking at it going, and so it ruined it for me. Here's a here's a I'm movie like, set that's dangerous to be on. Robert right. Mitchum and Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, yes. That seems that, like that, a pair that's... Right. Ladies, <laughs> just don't. Just that, don't. That might have been something to, to one reason why it didn't get done. But Yeah, those are two... Right. So to, that's some toxic. Well, uh, Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> notoriously did not like like aggressive masculine men. Right. He well, he them. wanted to be the strongest person right. to overpower all of the women, yeah. and he wasn't. He hated <laughs> so, apparently hated working with Sean Connery. Yeah, but probably Sean, had right. to love working with Anthony Qu- Anthony no who, Anthony Perkins, Perkins, who he bullied and blackmailed actually to get that performance. Um, and so yeah, his whole idea of a male lead, he did okay. not like Rod Taylor. He did not like Sean Connery. He just notoriously did not like. Sort of the, the, the because he movement. he wanted to be the right. biggest baddest and, and he definitively isn't. So there's a great moment in the girl, the film. Oh the, yeah, about him. Right, Is that where, the one where it's Toby? Um, um yeah, I believe so. It's Toby Jones, right? Jones, Toby Jones. Yeah. And it's supposedly there's some elements that were made up, but about Tippy Hedren. Yeah. And there's a scene where they're talking about Marnie, and he's telling her you're going to be a, a sexually frigid woman. And your husband's played by Sean Connery. And she goes, well, that'll be acting. And sort of fans herself. And the look on his face like, yeah, oh, just no, 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 no. Yeah. This is not, not going to fly with me. 
That's really interesting. You belong to me. But um yeah. but yeah, anyhow, but this film. This film was I really I appreciated it. I loved what it was saying in a lot of ways, although it's a horror film really. But I like yes, the fact I would that, agree it with not, that yeah. it's not um it's not playing falsely with you. Tommy Lee Jones layers this character so that yeah, you, uh, you, you could construct it and you see could where. have yeah, you could see where it didn't come out of the blue. That I don't I don't love the use of her visions because it's not really explained. Yeah. And I like that, I, I just wanted something as to why they were connected. There there might have been I, I don't know. I think that But then is it too much like the ring with an extra twenty minutes of her chasing down right. information that she wouldn't do because that's not her character. Yeah. Um I think that and I, I wanna also go over that too because I I, I think I've done a disservice. Uh oh. What's um, up? In that Faye Dunaway is really good in this movie. I, I keep talking about everybody else, like, no, the star of the movie is very good. And so it's just that we're given such a great cast. But, it was a really it was a really good cast. But she is And she has to do a lot. Like it feels like bad acting at certain points mm-hmm. just because there's so much right. for her to do. But she has to be in fear for both her life and the lives of literally everyone around her at all times. No. But you've got a book to do. Like, you've got, right. like, she had to work. Well, yeah, and what, she looks like an artist. There, this first scene with Tommy Lee Jones, and she's listening to this criticism about her, you can read behind her eyes kind of an anger. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I, it was very much like, and, I've heard this about my acting, so yeah. let me just, and she's just off of the, uh, Academy Award win for network. And again, this. this is why I think that she's remarkable because we discussed this when we watched Network. Is that here's a woman who's in the prime of being a sex symbol and she has a sex scene in Network with Wimbledon Holden that is so embarrassing. Is it embarrassing? Her scene where she, well, you remember what I know. And it's, if you were approaching this as a Hollywood sex symbol, and then you do a scene like that where it's like I would be super on board. Sex, you know, unsexy. Unsexy. Um, Good. Maybe some of these people will stop looking at me like this. Right, but I mean, <laughs> it was great to have the bravery to do that. She's not going to stay with that image. No. She could very easily have just gone on being a sex symbol, but it's like, let me mess with this image that people have of me and start acting and you know, running away with it like that. It was really great. Um. Yeah. No. I don't. I. I don't know that I have anything else to say about it. Um. We had chosen this movie. It was the only two movies released in August of 1978. I guess it was a slow. I don't know if there was a strike on mm-hmm. or something. Uh. Was this and a Woody Allen film? And I'm gonna not expose myself to Woody Allen films if I don't have to. So, and I know this is not the place for that discussion, but I always have. I don't know where to draw the line sometimes because a lot of these movies were favorites of mine before I found out there was an issue with the director or I an get issue that. with the producer. I think it really depends on the, the things. I the thing that I'm going to recommend is the is Nanette right. the the mm-hmm. uh, Comedy Central or the uh, Netflix Comedy Special, and she talks about the art separate the art from the man, separate the art from the man. Right. And she's specifically talking about Picasso. 
She's like, you can't do that because nobody has. Take his name off that art and nobody fucking wants it. This is, right. And and Woody Allen is a figure like that because he puts himself Uh so prominently into his work. There are other artists where that may not be the case. This is where where I had the little, and you know exactly where. You could see it when I had the separation, which is, is again, Roman Polanski. Yeah, no, I know. But here's the thing. At at this point, with as many people who have come out, right. he had a horrendously fucked up life. Right, and he's a horrendously and fucked up person. And he is a horrendously fucked up person. And he did horrendously person. fucked up things. And two children. Right. No, but so, what I want to say, though, in in what we're talking about there, and when she says she puts Donald Trump and Picasso and... You can almost say two of these things are not like the other. Except, except funded, but because when the, you, the hurt uh, caused, yes, fuck the art and the artists. The hurt caused by all of those men. If I can separate the art from the artists for one of the people in that crowd. Okay, yes, I, it would you be, could do, it would the, be Polanski. the genuine genius there. I'm not sure because I'm not really into cubism. But right. the fact that as a horror movie, Rosemary's Baby is a masterpiece. Right. And so is The Tenement. Right. And so is... So it's just, it's really horrible because, again, I don't like being in the position of defending a person who's horrible. Right. Um, but you don't want to get rid of that art. And, I, and that's why I think that yeah, some art, you right. can do that. And I think it's also for each individual person yeah. to do. And in 20 years, you might revisit that position. I might revisit that position. And right. change it. Um, and that's because we're people. That's what happens. But I think, you know, specifically for Woody Allen, for me, yes, I can. He and his work is too it is the same. And it might be discriminatory towards me as a person who loves films is that I could never get into his work because to me a lot of his films are about I'm helpless, I'm defenseless, look at how much the world is hurting me. And we're getting this from the voice of a person who regardless of how badly his films fail, can make a movie every year for the rest of his rich life. People, like, right. Yeah. And it just it just it feels And you're that like, way. how do you There are directors your who money, can, your films are not making right. their money back. Like there's no way. Um I mean maybe. The, but they're certainly not making twice, three times back. How Oliver Stone got to make Alexander when nearly every movie after JFK just sort of failed miserably. But he just keeps getting to make films. There are some directors who are privileged and the other ones who you really want to see work that just can't. Just don't. Yeah, can't. And so it's, Woody Allen, for me, was always one of those people where I never got the humor. Yeah. I never got what made him funny. It felt very much like a person, look at me, I'm helpless, but at the same time kind of domineering his set. Um, and then making these movies where I, I just couldn't get into it. Yeah. And it's always, you, know, you find people who aren't to your taste, but then... Yeah. Yeah, no, that's this just happens, the choice right. that I decided to make. I didn't want to. Yeah, talk and about I just I don't think I didn't want to watch. I don't think I can sit and watch the movie. I know there are people who really love him. I I just I don't know. That being said, yeah. next week you've already apologized to me for next week. I have episode. apologized to you because the film next week will be the Last Temptation of Christ. Yep. And I will have a lot to say, so I'm warning you. So y'all, um, one of us comes from a religious background. One of us is religious. Yes, one. <laughs> Because I want and to make that clear. It's not like I'm. I grew up this way, and no, you no. grew up this way, and you are this way. Both right. of those things. Um, neither on my end. Right. Uh, so there will be some <laughs> I will ranting probably <laughs> on the episode next week. Uh, I'm gonna edit it, so 
right. everything will be fine. But there might be a lot of me not saying anything. <laughs> no, I don't think it'll be that bad. We'll see what happens. But we didn't really get into your recommendation. Oh yeah, no, I have. We haven't gotten there yet. Mm. So, so eyes of Laura Mars. Yes, absolutely. One thumbs Super up. Super good. As I'm, Ebert would sum, say. I'm thumbs upping it as well. Thumb and way up and then, uh, yeah. Uh, for a movie that I had literally never heard of before, and I only knew because of that interview. And by the way, I made a mistake. King Kong was after this movie. Oh, okay. So I, it was a. Th- Is that the King Kong that with Jeff Bridges? That Jessica Lange was that told was her... that she was too ugly to be in it, and then Faye Dunaway was in it instead, or something. No, 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 no. Jessica Lange. That was her first big part. Oh, okay. And I forget the actress who was told that she was too ugly to appear in King Kong. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, that was it. That's who it was. Meryl Streep was too ugly to be in the... You done fucked up! (laughs) And it's the amount of work Jessica Lange had to do to live down King Kong. And it wasn't that the movie was bad, it's just that every single 70s trope had to be put into the movie. So it was almost like a hippie monster movie. Uh, The reviewer at the time, uh, Pauline Kael called the movie a story about a 40-foot Jesus Christ teddy bear. Because it was like everything. It was the rape of the environment. It was the death of religion. It was like every single 70s... Oh, it was Avatar. Right. Like, trope was thrown in here. Sounds like Avatar. We killed Kong and he's died for our sins. That's pretty much what the movie was saying. But that's where uh, René Bourgeois worked with uh, with uh, Jeff Bridges and got to do his Lloyd oh, Bridges impersonation. Oh, the Lloyd Bridges impersonation, okay. Which then apparently went on to be something in the Bridges' home, like the brothers would sit around. I could see that. They seem like goofy motherfuckers. They are very goofy. The stories about them being pelted by a rhinoceros penis. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Why do I know about this? Okay, so recommendations. You want me to go first, then? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, so I'm recommending... Um, the Netflix comedy special Nanette by Hannah Gatsby, a Tasmanian slash Australian comedian. We don't like that term. Comic. Comic. Ophira, Ophira Eisenberg says comic. Yes, ma'am. Comic. Right. Uh, so it's the, it's not the first comedy special to make me cry but it's the first one that made me cry three times and also both times I watched it mm. so yeah you'll cry probably you didn't but <laughs> you have no you have no heart <laughs> no it's not that I have no heart I'm it's trying to find that. a way of it's... expressing what's special about it without giving it away yeah Um. so she is doing something very similar to what Mike Birbiglia's last um, special did, which was breaking down what jokes are, what stories are, and weaving in um, a larger narrative, story-led narrative into the jokes that she tells at the beginning. You know, Mike Birbiglia is still a lot. I, I, a lot of his are called, you know, one-man shows. Mm-hmm. They are comedy pieces, but there is dra- drama to them. This is that. She is sort of subverting the straight comedy set right. um, in her act, in her one-hour act. Okay, so for the audience, and some of you who are old enough to remember this, Spalding Gray, 
Oh, yeah. It's more, if don't go into it thinking you're going to be watching a comedy special like you see on Netflix all the time. This is not like... Think about it like you're right. going in to watch Tig Notaro's comedy special when she talks about getting cancer. Right. Well, this is, it reminded <laughs> me of Spalding Green that there's a narrative to it. Yeah. There is a, a point of view to it. Yeah. There's, there is some righteous anger to it. It's actually, it's really interesting, but don't go in thinking, ha, 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 I'm going to well, laugh Well, but this. it starts pretty ha, ha, ha. it starts ha, out very much like I mean, the first like a, 20 right. minutes is a comedy But I think that special. I just don't want to set people, because one of the things that irritates me about when I see a movie advertised is like when we saw Mother. Well, when I'm telling you I cried, legitimately cried right. three times, you should know it's not just straight comedy. I wasn't crying from laughter, y'all. Right. <laughs> That's not what I was crying from. Yeah, it, it's, I, I really, I thought it was important. I right. think it's important. And it is important. It's something to think about. Um, yeah, and like I said, I watched it twice in the last three days, so I, I recommend it highly. Nanette. 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 What are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend something, um, not what you think, probably. So I'm not even going to guess. Much We've seen more, a bunch of stuff lately. So. And, and they've all been good, fairly good. We saw a movie with The Rock. Skyscraper. Skyscraper, which was fun because if you liked movies during the 70s or 80s, imagine somebody ran Die Hard into the Towering Inferno. Yep, that's, that's basically exactly what, this what movie it is. is. Last <laughs> tank tops, though, man. He takes his shirt off, but he puts it back on again. It's a real bummer. It's, it's, as you said, it's going to be harder to explain why this man is built like a gorilla and why he's covered in tribal tattoos. That's going to become harder and harder yeah. to explain. It's like, oh, okay. Um, but, uh, and we also saw Mission Impossible, which I... 912. Right, which I really enjoyed. Those um, movies are just like the Mission Impossible tapes. As soon as I walk into the light right. of day, they have self-destructed from well, my mind. We watched this movie today. I could not give you a rundown I'll, of the plot. I'll tell you what I liked about it, though. There was a, a couple it was fun. of really I good it. fight scenes. <laughs> yes. There were also, I like the fact that Tom Cruise is beginning to be aware of the fact that he can't pull off the superhero thing all the time. He looked a lot more human in this movie. He did. Even though he runs for about 10 miles without losing his breath. He really ran a whole bunch in this movie. But um, but there are scenes like, for instance, the, there's a big fight scene with him and Henry Cavill and another a performer who's obviously a martial artist. Yes. In Not a just because he's scene. Asian. No, he's... And he just they're both getting their asses kicked. And it looked like... We both realized we're not up to this. You know, yeah, this, this. we might be getting too old right. for this. So I liked that, and I um, but and there was also an emotional element uh, in the movie that I really liked near the end that I won't spoil for people. Yeah, that gave the movie some heart because before that there were like chase scenes, like you mentioned. Why on earth are we? Who's chasing who? What are we doing now? It's like we're people are running all over Paris uh, getting there shot. Was a, and, there's a whole chunk of the plot where I'm like. But it seemed to make... Like they're all making everything super hard for no reason. About 20 minutes of <laughs> perpetual action scene from this yeah, plot Yeah, that's why. That's the only that reason that make this any thing sense happens. Because I'm movie. just like, right. but if A and B are this, then why is C getting involved? Right. So there's that. And that was fun too. But what I'm going to do is something that will probably irritate you. Oh, yeah. To me... The moment of this weekend for me was watching oh. the trailer for the next Godzilla Gogeta. film. Yes. That's adorable. I literally had to hinge my jaw back into place because it dropped. It is 
I, I was really concerned that the director, who I'd only seen one of their films before Krampus, was going to take it in a different direction than what the last director set it up for. Gareth Edwards did a beautiful movie, a physically beautiful film with the first Godzilla film that was done for Legendary. There's a halo jump in that movie that's gorgeous. It looks like it was painted, you know, it's just spectacular. And there was a couple of other scenes in that film that were just like you're looking at a painter's compositions. And he might have had that background because it really looks out like that. So I was concerned that the next Godzilla movie, he left the franchise because they were going to take it in more of a comic book direction. And he wasn't on board for that. So I was concerned that, okay, it's going to look hokey. Yeah. But for some reason, it's weirdly beautiful. The cast is amazing. It's like The cast is ridiculous. (laughs) Right. You're going to put Vera Farmiga. You're going to put Bobby Millie Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Right. Sorry, young lady. Uh, You're going to put Kyle Chandler. And Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins. And Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe. Um, And... More dudes. There's other dudes. Ice Cube Jr. and Charles Dance. And oh, is O'Shea, O'Shea yeah. Jackson, isn't it? And, and you're just watching this this cast of really solid actors. But really, I mean, that the family of uh-huh. Eleven, Vera Farmiga, and Kyle Chandler, everything from here on out could just be them. Right. That's, this is very white. But, <laughs> but they're all very good. I love them. But... Um, and the film features all of the to- Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra, who were my Avengers when I was a kid. And um, and King Ghidra, the villain, he's like, if for people Is who don't know the it's kaiju not clear universe, how they're doing, how they're doing. It, Godzilla though. and King Ghidra are kind of like Batman and the Joker. They're constantly there's like I think seven films where they're fighting each other at this point. Um, maybe it's less. Just because TV. one of them calls himself God and the other one calls himself King. Right. But the, it's the there's a moment in the trailer when after the introductions where they start playing Claire de Lune. And it's weirdly hypnotic in the background of these enormous monsters and this very delicate, beautiful kind of lonely piece. It looked really good. Millie Bobby Brown looks like she's going to steal this movie from everyone except Godzilla. Well, maybe even him. She's very good. But um but yeah, I don't know how it fits into the movie. I don't know how the characters are working, but it's it's like the take way my money. that they've <laughs> set the trailer, it looks like Vera Farmiga is trying to get the end times to happen by right, waking like she's these things up. Trying to eliminate the human race, or at least, you know, she's her own more attractive version and of Thanos. She is looks like Kyle Chandler's ex wife uh-huh. and Millie Bobby Brown's mom. Awkward. So I don't... Yeah. And I, but she gets yeah. to touch Mothra, yes. who looks amazing. Yes, it's, she is beautiful. Mothra is one of the few female kaiju, and is also... I like the fact that, that you she's... you know of? No, no. You don't know that Godzilla is not a female. Godzilla's and in 1998, mm-hmm. they made a poor decision. Something. <laughs> right. But what I... Godzilla is supposed to represent like male energy, and Mothra is healing, so it's like female energy. It's remember these characters are based on Shinto mythology. They don't. They have oh, okay. analogs. That's right. That's right. They, they do. It's not they a Western idea. They are from idea. an actual right. mythology. No, no, no. I know that it's not a Western idea. Yeah. I forgot that there was a basis in larger right. mythologies. That was my fault. So yeah, but it's a but yeah, it was just a weirdly hypnotic and beautiful trailer. It seems like Guillermo del Toro, they're keeping it within this sort of beautiful color scheme. 
And it, it has the same kind of mood. of the, And I really want to see what Sally Hawkins does at this point. You know, she already admitted having a crush on Godzilla from the first movie. Her last movie, she makes love to a sea creature, so maybe this is a romance. She's not going to climb Godzilla. <laughs> no, I think that would be an unfortunate what, relationship. What they got to do, though, I guess, is, is shrink them down. Right. Because they're not going to get King Kong to get big enough to right. fight Godzilla without Godzilla and getting smaller. Something that I've said to you, I'm not looking forward to whatever that's going to be because it's going to yeah. be bad no matter what. It's not It's not going to be good. But right now, mm-hmm. the Godzilla-King Kong matchup would be like that old cartoon of Godzilla right. meets Bambi. Right, exactly. Like, Godzilla is too big and King Kong is too small. Right. So they're going to... I know that there's plans to make King Kong bigger. Uh, They're not. They have well, to see, do it the other way too, though. And it doesn't make sense because when you look at, especially the way they designed the new Godzilla, it looks like a moving mountain, right? Yep. Something like King Kong would crush under its own weight, trying to be that. That's size. why I'm saying yeah, King Kong can't not. get up to Godzilla size. Godzilla has to right. come down, not yes. all the way to King Kong size, but. They've got to meet in the middle. If we end the movie with a junior Godzilla, that would make more sense than if it was the actual Godzilla who's, you know, 350 feet tall and basically walks through bridges and things. Maybe Godzilla is a lady, and then they're going to have a baby one. Baby Godzilla. (laughs) Who knows? I I don't know. But anyhow, my point is the trailer was lovely. And it's funny because I came into the theater and I missed the trailer for another movie I really want to see, which is Glass. Glass. I've literally waited 18 years to see that movie. Um, yeah, that looks like it's going to be good, too. And who's the the woman that I was excited to see in those movies? Oh, it's... Um, it's um, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. Who's wonderful. Fantastic. So good. I, I, I remember seeing her in, what was the show, American Gothic years ago. Yes. Someone's at the door. Playing a ghost. And Someone's at the door. She, that was a, you <laughs> really are going to give away that she's a ghost? Well, you get to know that. Spoiler alert. Trying to find Okay, don't watch American (laughs) Gothic, and I'll tell you why. This is a show that after about seven or eight episodes, the producers got a hold of it or changed, and then completely changed the show. No, it's true. But those first seven or eight episodes are are very good, good, but then then you're never going to get an ending for it. Taken out of the hands of the producers, the villain winds up being the hero of the next couple of seasons, the main character gets thrown out, and... It was just really bizarre. Like, they try to reboot the show with the same characters. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it it's just odd. It did not work at all. So, watch the first few episodes. Don't go watch. Yeah, it was very much like, we're going to do this weird sort of supernatural or paranormal show. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, nah, let's do like a, like a mystery. Like, right. seven episodes in. I'm like, but we have like ghosts and shit now. Like... Yeah, it was like... What? <laughs> and they also, they got rid of, uh, what was his name, Dr. Dan. So if you find American Gothic, stop watching when Dr. Dan gets kicked out of the program because then it becomes a completely different show that is not as interesting to watch. I'm trying to see when Glass comes out. Oh, 18th of January. So that's a while away. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to have to wait a lot. I'm going to have to wait for this and for Godzilla. I think next year is going to be a good movie year for me. Huzzah. Yes, I know. All right. Is that it? That's it. Okay. So next week, uh, we are watching The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm nervous about it, uh, but hopefully it goes okay. And uh, if you want to reach out and talk to us, say hi. 
we are uh, on Twitter at LatecomersPod. We are at Gmail at LatecomersPod at gmail.com. I have a website, AmityArmstrong.com. AmityArmstrong.com. She has the best name. Um, we've got Facebook groups and pages, Latecomers. You can find us there, Latecomers Podcast. If you would like to check out a book of creepy stories by Lemuel, you can find Ceiling Nights, his book, on Amazon. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. We love you very much. And <laughs> what? Nothing, I, just, I love that. Extending <laughs> our love towards people in the audience. We love you very much for listening okay, to People us need talk. love these days. I, I completely agree. It, it, it's a message that needs to be and said. And somebody listens to this whole show. Yeah. And we didn't ask them to or hold a gun to their head we love them very much so thank you so much and remember better better late than than never never.